On this episode of Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, digital well-being at Virginia Tech and beyond. This is Ed Scoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Universities are continuing to invest in well-being on and off campus. At Virginia Tech, Lori Fritsch, the Associate Director of the University's Wellness Office, worked alongside Christina Cook, the author of The Joy of Missing Out, to offer students and faculty tips and tools to help them take breaks from technology and connect with their peers in real life. Both Fritch and Cook tell Ed Scoop's Lindsay McKenzie about the origins of digital well-being, how it came to be at Virginia Tech, how emerging tech like ChatGPT plays into the whole effort, and what's next for the movement beyond the university. I began digital well-being work in about 2016, and because it was impacting our students, I started to see device use changing, how our students had been engaging with one another. I have been working with college students since 2000, and so I was able to really start noticing pretty marked differences. and because I was teaching different areas of public health, we started to include phone use and its impact on the various aspects that we were teaching about. So I was trying to find work, bodies of evidence that sort of proved my theory that people were starting to change. And so I first started following Dr. David Greenfield, who has been doing work in digital addiction since the 1990s. And then I found some of Catherine Price's work. And then I found Christina's amazing work through JOMO, The Joy of Missing Out. And my students that I was working with at the time, my graduate students, and I just really loved the thought of JOMO. And Christina's platform was so positive rather than being grounded in shame. It was really about seeking out joy and not a detox, but about what can we do that actually makes us feel more fulfilled than being on our phones. So I was following Christina's work. And when I saw that I could meet with her virtually, I was like bouncing with joy, ran out, told my graduate students. And I said, oh my gosh, I can meet with Christina Crook. And so <laughs> the first time we met, uh, I was I was basically fangirling because I just love her love her work so much, and um, it was, well, not an accident, an amazing meeting. So Lori came with this. She was surely sharing with me that the best and brightest of her students were coming back to campus languishing. And so she basically just point blank said to me, you know, what I really think we need is a campus wide multi-year digital well-being campaign, is that something that you would want to be a part of? And everything in me just turned on. And I'm like, I have no, I have absolutely no idea what this is going to look like, but I 100% want to be a part of it. For those who haven't read your book, Christina, The Joy of Missing Out, would you mind summarizing a little bit what it's about and some of the main takeaways? Sure. It, it really begins like, you know, they say that authors write what they need to read. I mean, it came out of my own challenge around digital technology. I had moved cross-continent, like many students, interestingly, right, moving from far away or even faculty, right, getting a new academic job. And so all of a sudden, 
all of my relationships were mediated in some way through digital technology. So where I had had very strong, close local connections, all of a sudden they were uprooted and I needed to start over. And so I was starting to notice how um, this is like when social media really started to accelerate. This is about 10 years ago. And I was starting to notice sort of like these new habits I was building, really a voyeuristic way of engaging in relationships where I was like looking at what people were posting, but I wasn't going through the work of contacting them directly to find out how they were doing. And so I was noticing I wasn't getting to as many creative projects as I wanted to. There was a lot of different things that were happening relationally and professionally that I didn't like. And so I had a curiosity about what would happen if I completely disconnected from the internet. Originally, I was going to do an entire year and my faraway family was like, no, that is not happening. <laughs> we will be completely cut off. We will not see photos of the grandchildren. That is not allowed. And so I roped it back and it became a 31-day fast from the internet. And what I discovered during that time, I mean, of course, it was like a classic detox. The first couple of days were like cold sweats and discomfort and reaching for the phone and not being able to do the things I wanted to do. But really quickly, I started to engage in different ways. I started to realize that all those little five-minute and 10-minute and 20-minute minute check-ins I made on my phone, you know, really did bank up to a huge amount of time that I was giving away. Um, we all lament we're so busy, we have no time, but the reality is, is we're giving away an, a massive amount of time and attention and energy uh, to really lifeless, life-sucking um, activities. And so I discovered a bunch of margin I never knew I had. I built relationships really differently. Like I literally had to ask my neighbor, like, where's the best pizza place? Like I locked myself out of the house one day and I like had to like knock on a neighbor's door to get them to like help me find a locksmith. Like all of the friction I kind to put back into my life reaped a lot of benefits in terms of um, my relationships and my creative habits. So that's basically what the joy of missing out is all about. So Laurie, you read Christina's book Mm -hmm. and obviously it made you think of your students and they have to be online to some extent, right? So how does this apply to them? I I think that it really helps us think about Not that the internet is good or bad, but is our use of it aligning with our goals? And so when we take a moment or a day or a month to really think about what are my core uses for the online ways that I'm engaging and how do those uses help me achieve my goals or how do they help me achieve joy or connect with a friend? Because it's it's not necessarily that device use is good or bad. It's are we using it in a way that helps us connect, that helps us gain knowledge? Um, but And are we also able to put the phone down once we're with a friend or once we're in class and learning um, so that it's not taking away from a true experience? So tell me how you approach this at Virginia Tech. I don't know, Christina, if you can fill in here, but what did you do when they called you and asked you to work with them? Well, first... We went through a discovery process, so really validating the problem. So I came to campus to first meet Lori and her team in person to do some education with the Hokie Wellness team there at Virginia Tech. And then, you know, Lori really set the groundwork for me to be, us to be able to do firsthand interviews with students and faculty. So we did a lot of in-depth interviews with students, you know, really spending like a solid hour with students to get a sense of 
where the digital pain points really were. And in that discovery period, I mean, it was quite eye-opening to to understand that this wasn't just a personal technology use problem, which actually was an assumption that I went into this project with, but actually that there are systemic problems and the ways that, you know, the learning platforms are being used by all stakeholders on campus from administration to faculty to students. So really some very pivotal opportunities that are there. And we can talk about some of the changes that are Virginia Tech's putting into place around Telos and, and some of their other partners on the ground. But really the first phase was, yeah, discovery, validating the problem, and then starting to think through, like, how are we going to create really a culture shift at Virginia Tech? Because if I can speak to what Lori had been doing on campus, you know, when we first spoke, she said, you know, I've got this incredible workshop. Actually, she has two different workshops. One's an hour and one's a longer sort of two to three hour um, digital well-being workshop. But she says, you know, there's so much friction in this. Like a student has to identify a problem, right? They have to know in themselves already, like have awareness that there's a problem happening for them. Then they have to go looking for a resource, then they have to show up, right, for the workshop and then do the work and then continue the change. And we know that once they get in the room, they're going to make a change and they're they're going to be on a, a better path. But all that friction in place, really what Lori was looking for was like, how do we remove more friction to them getting this awareness and, and starting to take action to build a better habit? Because I had been doing the workshop for about six years, uh, I really knew that I needed to make some environmental changes prior to the pandemic. I wanted to elevate this. We really, in Hokie Wellness, function off of uh, a socio-ecological model of change. And so looking at those interpersonal and individual and then the environmental ways that someone is approaching a change. And so I had collected a lot of assessment points. And prior to Christina even being on campus, uh, I had collected sort of this answers to the question of how can we make Virginia Tech a more digitally well campus? So um, really had a lot of data points. And then Christina just did such a great job of elevating the stories and really the interviews echoed a lot of the same um, pieces of data that I had been collecting in the spring of 2022. I think it's also important to note that right after Christina and I talked for the first time and we sort of said, yes, we want to do this project together. uh, I really had the support of our administration in student affairs. So Dr. Frank Shushak, who was the vice president for student affairs was um, on his way to becoming the president of Roanoke College. And he um, had met with me, but also brought in the now new vice president of student affairs, Dr. Francis King. It was really that level of support that enabled funding for Christina. And they basically just said, yes, we believe that there is something here. Our students are languishing. We need more. And so just the gift of having administration who does believe in a project like this is so powerful. From there, we really began to look at different places around the university and different stakeholders who could help us elevate the platform beyond just that workshop capacity. 
what kind of questions were you asking the students? So we started off really kind of high level. So the first question we were asking students is when you think about your college experience, what do you hope to get out of it? In other words, what's on your college bucket list? So really having them identify long-term goals, academic goals, social goals, even physical and emotion goals. Um, the next question we asked was what are the digital requirements? At Virginia Tech. So how much are you expected to be online? So really trying to hone in on, you know, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things they have to do, right? This is not optional TikTok, you know, for seven hours from 10 p.m. to, you know, five in the morning. Like we're talking about like, what do they have to do to be a student? And then getting into like, are those requirements too much, too little, or just right? Let me get into their personal tech technology usage. So I won't get obviously go into all of it, but these are the types of questions we were asking. I guess I'll share one more, which is how how is your tech use improving your student experience? So a lot of questions. I'm just sort of scratching the surface there, but those are the the types of things we were exploring. Were you surprised by any of the results, Laurie? Really, there was so much echoing about just the amount of time they were spending on Canvas and how much pressure they felt to instantly respond to emails from professors, I think was very surprising because from an administrative standpoint, I know that faculty also feel that pain point. And that was an interesting share out, I think, when we most recently connected with faculty is that this strain and expectation is being felt from the student perspective and the faculty perspective. Have you done anything to address that so far? Well, we just had an opportunity to teach uh, at Summer Institute, which is a sort of on-campus conference for faculty in the Office of Undergraduate Education. And Christina keynoted, and I had an opportunity to teach a workshop session on digital well-being and the academic environment. And so we shared a lot of these results that came from the interviews and then started to talk about opportunities for how to begin setting digital boundaries for the well-being of both the faculty members and our students alike. So, I mean, in my session, really, we're, we're talking to over 200 undergraduate faculty um, they had overwhelming, they had way higher attendance this year. I think everyone was very excited to talk about digital well-being. They were also obviously talking about generative AI and chat GBT and all those good things and sessions uh, that were run by other uh, faculty on campus. But really what I was speaking about was the principle of, of the joy of missing out and how it relates to education and, and how to reclaim the joy of educating. And so I talked about the false promises of big tech. I write about this and speak about this a lot, I, I define the three false promises of big technology as convenience, comfort, and control, and how those are really at odds with how we make meaning and experience joy. And so we can trade convenience and comfort and control for creativity, community, and care. The people that are happiest with technology actually use it in those three ways. And that comes out of the work of Dr. Pamela Pavlisak at the Pratt School um, in New York. And then how that maps onto campus, Canvas, and classroom. And that's where Lori um, really brought practical strategies to bear. 
So within that workshop, we really talked about first examining how to craft a syllabus statement that begins the conversation the very first day of what are the ways that devices in the classroom can impact learning and to begin to write that out in whatever way feels best for the professor, whether it's playful or very serious. And so we just had them really look at a pretty funny uh, example of a syllabus statement. And then they thought about what kind of messages do they want to convey in their own to support digital well-being. Um, I think a lot of this was just opening the dialogue and giving our faculty members permission to start setting boundaries because our digital well-being practices and the thought of digital well-being are are so new. There really is no policy or um, right way to do it yet. We're all still figuring it out. So the next activity that we had them think about was really thinking about how technology in their classroom either supports or takes away from learning, success, and belonging. And we talked about how do they personally want to foster digital well-being in their classroom. Um, And I just gave them some considerations. I gave them some literature for them to read through. Um, Harvard School of Education has a really great cumulative paper that outlines some some really great studies. Um, But we talked about like, what would it look like to ban devices altogether, um, creating some digital etiquette policies, sharing some research about how off-topic device use impedes learning. I think really the core message is whatever you decide, it has to feel right to the professor and right for the context of the class, but being really transparent about it and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a partial device-free policy meaning uh, we're going to, I'm going to ask you to put your device away for this portion of class because I want you to learn better. And research states that we learn better when we're on topic or our our devices are are out of the picture or however works best for the, the professor. And then Having them consider communication boundaries was another really core area for professors to start considering whether it's it's a lot of the Canvas, which is our learning platform um, that is used for our professors to engage uh, with the class electronically. Um, so much messaging becomes very overwhelming through this. Our students become overwhelmed and, and professors are just inundated with a lot of work with Canvas. Just talking about how they can choose to manage and filter their messages that come in through that, whether it's the professor chooses to answer between a certain day, uh, like 4 to 6 p.m., or they only answer everything that comes in before 5 p.m., or and it rolls over to the next day. Um, but again, really setting uh, those boundaries, maybe allowing disconnection hours for students, and then really thinking about submission times for assignments, because sleep is such an important component to everyone's health and well-being, but also really students. We know that a student, if they give are given a submission time of 5 a.m., they're going to most likely work until 5 a.m. Um, so being really thoughtful about how submission times, now that we are in such a digital world, impact um, sleep, which then impacts mental health and um, memory consolidation. So we, we really just talked about all of the different variables that go into 
setting new boundaries and expectations and and just really being mindful about communicating them. In addition to the work with classrooms, we developed, Flory and I collaboratively, uh, a digital well-being challenge that was run in um, a residence on campus. And so what we had was the students uh, signed up for the challenge. They completed a weekly piece of education, and then they got to select um, the digital well-being challenge that they were going to complete that week. And then on the Friday, they had to complete a reflection on how that went. And it was really exciting because some students had never, like in Lori's words, like was precognitive, right? Like they'd never thought about this problem at all. And they had this invitation through signage and posters we had up um, in that residence hall, but also communication directly through their faculty um, in that living and learning community on campus. Uh, They were invited to participate in this four-week challenge. And so we saw incredible changes. Um, Lori, why don't you speak to the the stats on, on the impact of that challenge? Yeah, so uh, we know that after the four-week challenge, about 73.8% of the students reported um, making a behavior change as a result of the, the challenge, which is just pretty awesome. And that group of students also said on a scale of one to five, they would be highly likely to maintain that change, which is just a really cool outcome. Um, the students also engaged in sort of like a an intake of an hour-long educational session to set them up and to measure their digital flourishing. We talked sort of about what does it look like to digitally flourish, which is another really important piece to our work. Um, We work with the Digital Wellness Institute, who I think was the uh, panel that you may have seen, Lindsay, and in celebration of Virginia Tech being announced as the first digitally well university. It is their instrument that we are using to help our students really explore what does healthy device use look like. And so that that tool is a really integral part of the intake as well. And so we had a focus each week on a different dimension of digital well-being. So one week was really focused on relationships. Another one was focused on focus or better study habits. Um, And so it kind of went through that way. And some students reduced their daily social media use in half from seven hours to three hours. Others who kept more to themselves prior to the challenge started forming groups of friends for the first time. Um, So these are like the real world outcomes, right? Reclaimed time, relationships relationship building, right, which we know is going to ultimately set them up for success in the long term on campus. And then in addition to that, we, this is, this is an audio uh, medium, (laughs) so you can't see them, but we put these uh, phone boxes into some select, uh, into a select dining hall on campus. So a a place for students to put away their phones and take out some conversation cards and engage in conversation um, and also banner series. So we piloted in dining classrooms and residence halls. So really looking to expand that work on campus at Virginia Tech next year. And I'll just speak to the the final, the academic spaces, what we piloted within classrooms, we we had the opportunity to create some materials and have some folks share them in their classrooms this year. We created a series of slides for the professor to sort of display whenever um, fit into their academic schedule. Um, And those just had a little bit of education and then sort of an inspirational prompt to put the device away or engage in conversation without a phone 
own. Um, and then we also had four different videos that were less than three minutes each that shared um, some different lessons about digital well-being in the classroom. And those were pretty playful, mostly. Mostly they were pretty playful. They were meant to spark conversation. You know, really, Jomo is all about the, it's the joy of missing out, right? To the joy of missing out on the right things to make space for what matters most is how I phrase it. And so, you know, we know that shame is not an effective tool for creating a behavior change. And so really we were trying to like spark joy and curiosity and conversation around tech use. So they were pretty funny. Like one of Ours was it was a nature documentary spot that we created for Virginia Tech. So the student was the animal <laughs> and they were having a lot of trouble writing their paper because they were being attacked by all these different notifications. And then they used their most powerful defense, which was turning on do not disturb, you know, and putting the phone away and then they could deliver, deliver their papers. That's great. Laurie, moving forward, what are your plans now to expand this work or continue it? And are there any resources you'd recommend to people listening who might be interested in uh, their institution becoming digitally well? Absolutely. Well, in, in great news moving forward, because I we just had the opportunity to present at Summer Institute, I have more than 60 professors who have invited me into their classroom in the fall. So I will be excitedly teaching lots of students who will most likely be first year students and uh, rather than just doing a small pilot with those students that we uh, worked with in the residence hall this past spring I will be teaching all of them so that is an 800 person residence hall and they have a, an academic class that I will be going into in different sections so that's one thing that we'll be we will be doing this fall the next big thing is really expanding into more residential communities. So our next target is uh, offering the four-week challenge in living learning programs and living learning communities specifically. I'm still really targeting pre-established communities that have some faculty support along with them. Uh, It's just a little bit easier to uh, administratively manage at this point in pilot. And then Christina and I are really working to create a digital well-being hub in what is known as the CID or Creativity and Innovation District here on campus. And um, so we are looking to really develop some creative interactive and engaging experiences in that space that we don't know what that looks like yet. That's the the funny thing about this is it's it's just a work in progress. It it truly is like a a piece of art. And then the last piece is really engaging more with student engagement and campus life. And we have a platform known as Experience VT which is all about helping students find their space at Virginia Tech. So um, really integrating JOMO and digital well-being into some of the great work that's already being done on campus because the messaging really aligns. It's, you know, find something that fulfills you, find who you are on this campus, put yourself out there without your phone, and and those really complement one another. As far as resources for other schools, I am looking to lead the coalition for collegiate digital well-being and will be starting this fall. So I uh, 
will have a newly established website that has information about that. Unfortunately, I'm not the web developer. I don't have the website yet. Um, but if you, if folks want to go to Hokey Wellness, there will be a link on there for digital well-being in the near future, certainly with ways for folks to get involved. Lori Fritch, Associate Director of Hokey Wellness at Virginia Tech, and Christina Cook, the author of The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World. You can read more about their efforts at edscoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. Carlin Fisher helps make it happen, and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.